Historical Paranormal Podcast. I hope you all had a great week. Last week, after listening to our Dybbuk Box episode, I saw a lot of you streamed it early on. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And I hope this is going to be a great follow-up to it. Um, this last week was really awesome, so I had some ch- uh, some time to really research it. Um, I was on vacation, and anybody who knows me personally knows that I do not really take vacations. So it was awesome to be able to have the time to devote to my research, but also to have time to just chill and process a lot of the events that have gone on or took place in the last week or so, or last two weeks. I started a new position within my company, and I'm very, very excited to get started with that. Um, and various other things. It's the end of summer, guys, and we're getting into one of my favorite seasons, not surprisingly, um, because of this podcast and its usual subject matter. But yeah, we're getting into fall. We're getting into Halloween. I have resisted the urge to buy every Halloween decoration that I see so far, although I'll probably get some Halloween stuff next week. We'll see. I still have, as you can tell, the cold from last week. So that's kind of fixing itself. But since it was largely allergy based and I stopped taking my allergy medication because I do not listen to instructions or things, but it's all good because it's giving me the super cool voice. I like that. So as you saw on the episode name, we are covering Greyfriars Kirkyard and it is located in Edinburgh, Scotland. So Edinburgh, for those who don't know, it's the capital of Scotland, and it's been inhabited by humans since the Mesolithic era, but really wasn't recognized as the capital of Scotland until the mid-1400s. Greyfriars Kirkyard was so named after a Franciscan friary that was demolished in 1560. The churchyard needed to be put to use, so a royal charter was issued in 1562, And also to explain something, so Greyfriars, the whole name actually came from the Franciscan uh, friars or monks. I'm not sure what a friary is. I literally could have looked that up. It would have been so easy. But nevertheless, if they're using the term Franciscan, I'm going to venture a guess that it was Catholic and it closed. I'm also going to guess here, do a little reach, uh, probably because the Roman Catholic faith was really not practiced widely anymore, uh, being replaced with the Church of Scotland. But outside of that, uh, in Scotland, at this point, churches were called kirks, and I think that comes from the Gaelic um, language. So churchyard, kirkyard, same thing. Now, getting into that, that religious stuff, that's not such a terrible way to say it, like that religious stuff, but it's the story is steeped, or the cemetery is steeped in religious, bloody religious past. So it actually has a tie to the Covenanters move, movement, a huge tie. The National Covenant was signed in the churchyard in 1638, uh, and it's considered to be the most important movement in Scottish history because it caused civil war, religious persecution, and led to the reformation of the Scottish church. And it concerned the Scottish church, who at that time were Calvinist in doctrine and Presbyterian in structure, and of course, the Church of England. Um, And it really had to do a lot with the Church of England imposing um, the common book of prayer. And one of the reasons that that was so despicable to the Scots was because they felt as though the head of the church should be God, and the Church of England believed, or the um, Anglicans believed, that the head of the church should be uh, the monarch in power, at that time the king. 
Now, I glossed over about a century of history with that little tidbit. So know that I'm aware of this, but bear with me because it could be a whole other episode all on its own. own, And we're probably going to come back to it. Well, we are going to come back to it later on in this episode. So in Greyfriars Kirk, you'll find a lot of really interesting features. Um, You'll find enclosed vaults and mausoleums, and those are going to be on the southern edge of the cemetery. They have gates and iron fences around them, and this is due to the grave robbing epidemic in the 18th century. And speaking of grave robbing, uh, mort safes, or low ironwork cages that were put around graves that protected the recently buried bodies long enough for them to no longer be valuable to resurrection men, are also there at the cemetery. What did the resurrection men do? Do you ask? Well, I'm glad that you asked because we're going to talk about it. Um, They dug up recently buried bodies to sell their cadavers to medical schools who would pay pretty well at the time for them. The most famous of these resurrection men were named William Burke and William Hare, and they are known best as serial killers, Burke and Hare. And as body snatching became more and more prevalent, the mort safes were really installed to stop it from happening. Bodies became harder to come by because of the mort safes, and they were much more valuable as a result. So, Burke and Hare enter our story here. William Hare owned a lodge house similar to a hotel where travelers could stay. When one of his lodgers died and seemingly had no family, he and his friend Burke decided to sell the body. They received a payment of seven pounds, ten shillings, which was a pretty tidy sum for them at the time. And when I did the math, um, calculating for inflation, it's around $220 in today's money. Two months later, when one of Hare's lodgers had a fever and he was concerned that other people might not want to stay for fear of catching it, he and Burke murdered her and sold her body. And at this point, I mean, fever was a pretty valid threat because it could have meant tuberculosis, consumption. It could have meant a lot of things. So... Um, I get that he was afraid, but this is maybe not the best way to go about um, this problem. <laughs> so he, like I said, he had murdered her and sold her body, probably with the knowledge, both of them did this, probably with the knowledge of their wives, but really it was never proven. Um, they continued in this pattern for another 14 victims, the last of which, Margaret Dougherty, was discovered before she could be sold. So it was her murder that got them caught. William Hare provided evidence against Burke and his wife, even though both of their wives, like I said, probably knew and probably helped, but really it was only Burke who was convicted and hung shortly thereafter. His body was dissected and his skeleton was put on display where it remains now at the Anatomical Museum of Edinburgh Medical School. So that's a pretty neat way to tie that up, right? He sold all those people's bodies and then his body literally is still now on display after being used in the same way. So kind of cool. You could go see it. Like you could literally go to the anatomical museum of Edinburgh medical school and go see it. It's pretty cool. Now our main ghost story pertains to Sir George Mackenzie, a lawyer and Lord advocate during the rule of Charles II. And I referenced just so you know, an article on Atlas Obscura for this story, as well as an article on the daily beast.com. Now, I had said we're going to go back to the National Covenant, and here we go. So during the wars over the National Covenant, he was the primary and most vicious persecutor of the Covenanters. Remember, these are the Presbyterians. 
He was responsible for 1,200 Presbyterians imprisoned in the Covenanter's prison, as it came to be known, and it earned him the nickname Bloody Mackenzie due to the reckless amount of prisoners who were hanged and the many prisoners who died of maltreatment allowed by him. It's said that of the 1,200, only 257 came out alive, and that's only because they renounced their Presbyterian faith and swore an oath to the crown. There was also an article, it should be mentioned here, that I found that said that 250 survivors were actually sold as slaves, but I really found no record of that anywhere else, so I think a lot of this has some hearsay, and I'll include it, but I really don't totally believe it. Now back to George McKenzie. He was the scourge of this time. People hated him. And during her testimony, one of the covenanters, Marion Harvey, told the court that her blood was on the hands of George Mackenzie, among others. And her name for him was that excommunicate tyrant, George Mackenzie, the advocate. Marion Harvey was hanged after making this statement. Not because of this statement, but it was part of it. So... Sir George Mackenzie died in 1691 after retiring from public life, but his mausoleum has been anything but peaceful. It's known as the Black Mausoleum, and it's supposedly one of the most active poltergeists in the world. In 2006, the Scotsman wrote that there had been about 450 documented attacks, 140 people who had collapsed, and even suspicion that the Mackenzie poltergeist was responsible for the death of one local psychic. That's, that's a lot, right? So let's talk about that psychic. An article on spookyisles.com had the most accurate story with the picture, which I'll post on my Instagram. In November of 1999, Colin Grant had decided to do an exorcism after hearing about the 450 or so paranormal experiences had at the Covenanters prison and at the Black Mausoleum located in the Covenanters prison area of the Greyfriars Kirkyard. People had reported cuts, burns, bruises, and losing their breath while visiting the Covenanter's prison, particularly at the Black Mausoleum. One woman said she felt as though a hand were covering her mouth and nose, and she fainted after finding it difficult to breathe. The next day, bruises on her neck and cheek had appeared. Another person said they felt like they were being constantly watched. And I don't know if you have ever felt like that. Like someone's watching you or if they always say that you can feel someone staring at you. And if you've ever looked up and seen them staring, it's kind of off-putting. But if you couldn't see that person, but you still felt like that, it's pretty, it's pretty creepy. I don't know. Um, some say they've also felt a malevolence that they never felt before um, upon entering the area where the Black Mausoleum is. Um, and a psychic visiting described an area where she felt at least 15 people including children, had been tortured to death. Usually the Mackenzie poltergeist, as it came to be known, would attack attendants of the City of the Dead tours, which would usually end at the Black Mausoleum. Colin Grant, our psychic, had heard all of this, and being rooted in the psychic community, even owning his own clairvoyance shop, he decided to visit. He performed the exorcism as people took photos, without flash, very important to mention, One photo is particularly chilling because you can see a flash against one of the graves, even though the newspaper reported that no flashes were present while the exorcism was taking place. That same paper reported that a dark figure was seen gliding from the church over to Grant while he was praying. And you can, so they say, I couldn't see it, but I'm never good at those things. 
they say that you could see it in the picture as well. And I'll post that if I can on um, Instagram. After the exorcism, he said that he felt strongly like his work was going to kill him. On January 26th, 2000, during a seance at the clairvoyant shop, he had a fatal heart attack. Soon after that, reports of the Mackenzie poltergeist started up again. And those that had experienced the activity attributed it to the close proximity of George Mackenzie's mausoleum to the graves of those he sentenced to death in the Covenanters' prison because they were buried on the spot. In 1999, a homeless man broke into the mausoleum looking for a place to sleep. He got in and then fell asleep and was later found by police. It said that that was what finally released the Mackenzie poltergeist. The poet Robert Louis Stevenson wrote in his 1879 book titled Edinburgh Picturesque Notes, saying, when a man's soul is certainly in hell, his body will scarce lie quiet in a tomb, however costly. Sometime, or rather, the door must open, and the reprobate come forward in the abhorred garments of the grave. So with that, they say that the poltergeist was released. And in 2004, a few teenagers also broke into the mausoleum through an open ventilation slot and found the lower vault where the coffins were. They stole a skull and were arrested while playing football with it. So they were charged with violating sepulchers, but somehow they avoided jail time, which I don't get. I would have absolutely tried to teach them a lesson somehow. I mean, who does that? Who just steals a skull and is like, you know, it's great football. And I don't know if it was the football like Americans know it or the football like the rest of the world knows it as soccer, but either way, it's pretty grotesque to do that to somebody's remains. Now, another very famous story involves Greyfriars Bobby. He was a loyal Sky Terrier that stood guard over his deceased owner's grave for 14 years until he died, and he was buried nearby in an unmarked grave. In the 1980s, the city of Edinburgh finally made him a monument overlooking his owner's grave. Now, historians argue over whether he really did stay 14 years for his owner or whether the shop and restaurant owners just fed him and let him stick around for the extra tourism business it brought them. Either way, the dog did exist, and apparently so does its ghost. Now, Potterheads will also find Greyfriars Kirkyard, Really interesting because it was here at the Elephant House Cafe overlooking the Hogwarts-esque George Harriet School that J.K. Rowling wrote the first lines for Harry Potter. There's even a grave marked Thomas Riddle, which fans of Harry Potter will leave letters and flowers for. I mean, considering the grave is 150 years old or over 150 years old, it's pretty cool. And if I were Thomas Riddle of Scotland, of Edinburgh, Scotland, I'd be pretty excited about that. Even if you don't believe in all the paranormal stuff that goes on at Greyfriars Kirkyard, do appreciate how picturesque and beautiful and historic. Even if you don't believe all the paranormal activity that goes on or supposedly goes on at Greyfriars Kirkyard, there's just so much art there. I mean, there's monuments, there's murals, murals such as the Death Head the Angel of Resurrection and the King of Terrors, which, I mean, just the names alone. Come on, you got to go see it. Um, I'll try to put some pictures of some of them on there. Um, you'll also find the Martyrs Monument that was erected to honor the Covenanters that were martyred for their faith. 
And on the other side of that coin, you'll also find a monument to Sir George Mackenzie, designed by architect James Smith, which I have never heard a more English name than James Smith. But that's besides the point. I just thought I would add that in. Another monument that you'll find is of John Byers of Coates, created in 1629. It's one of the last works of William Wallace. And this is not the William Wallace from Braveheart, as I originally thought. But it is the William Wallace that served as King's Master Mason under James VI. If you'd like to go see the Covenanter's Prison for yourself, you'll have to make an appointment. And I found this on their Wikipedia. The area was open to public view until around 1990, but was thereafter locked by the City of Edinburgh Council to stem persistent vandalism and use by drug users. The area is accessible during the day by special arrangement with the guides at Greyfriar Kirk during their opening hours and at night by going on a City of the Dead tour where the Black Mausoleum can be visited. Although if it was closed from public view around 1990, I mean, there was still some pretty nasty incidences of vandalism. So there ends the story of the Greyfriars Kirkyard, one of the most haunted cemeteries in existence. And if you guys would like to add to this story, or if you've been there, which would be really cool, go ahead and comment on my Instagram. That is at historical paranormal. And let me know what you think. And if you have been there, that would be super cool. Also, if you have any suggestions, if there are some really interesting stories I haven't told, some cryptids I haven't talked about, I actually haven't talked about any cryptids. So that would be kind of an interesting challenge. You might see a chupacabra appear on this podcast. We'll see. Um, Other than that, I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening.